Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. Your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Score! Johnny Toronto! I wonder if they can hear it on Long Island. 2-0, Friday Rostovic, great save by Anderson. Riley stayed on side. Flipped it up for Marner. Mitch Marner centering. Time into the net. Scores! He took fast down and his shot trapped him in the corner of the ring. All right, here we go. Episode 57 of Not Another Leafs Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network at Ken Stapon, at Leafs Pod, at Hockey Pod Net. Reminder that this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. Speaking of America and Canada, our top athletes are on the way over to Tokyo to compete for the gold, and DraftKings has a medal-worthy offer just for my listeners. Listen to this great offer. Place any pre-wager event of $1 to be eligible to cash $100 in free credits if America wins any medal this year. That's 100 to 1 odds on American athletes to stand on the podium and receive either gold, silver, or bronze this week. 100 to 1 odds on an offer like this doesn't come around often, so sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook now and get in on all the action. I love using DraftKings. It's easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know that you will too. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. If America wins a medal, that's code THPN to turn $1 into $100 in free credits for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years or older in New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana. 1-800-9 with it. So July 19th, Monday, July 19th is when I'm recording this episode. It's been a little bit of time since we last recorded. Apologies to the listeners and to the network. Been going through a couple changes like in my personal life. Uh, my co-host Brendan McCarthy has decided to step away from the podcast for the next little while for personal reasons. So I'll be uh, recording on my own for the next uh, little bit here into the future. I uh, was also going through some transitions myself, um, went through a job transition where I left my prior place of employment, been transitioning into a new spot, been uh, busy doing that in addition to the freelance stuff at TSN. So it's kind of made it difficult over the last couple weeks to find time to really dial it in. So appreciate anybody who's stuck around to listen because a lot has happened since we last chatted, uh, including but not limited to the Lightning winning the cup. Hey! Didn't see that one coming. The Lightning breaking the cup. (laughs) And anybody who complains about that, it seems like it happens every year. Every year, these guys go out, they get absolutely in one, and the cup ends up, you know, getting dented, getting beat up. Not a big deal. So we can park that. 
Um, this was a big one. Ryan Suter and Zach Parise bought out by the Minnesota Wild. We will be joined by the State of Hoppy, uh, co-host of the Soda Pod on the Hockey Podcast Network and a pretty good friend of mine to discuss what the implications are for that franchise buying out those two cornerstone players. Duncan Keith traded to the Oilers from Chicago in a little bit of a surprise move. Uh, the Hawks managing somehow to not retain any of the salary, so a little bit of a surprise there. We'll uh, have uh, the State of Hoppy weigh in on that as well. Pierre Maguire, as far as uh, the coverage aspect, Pierre Maguire is joined the Senators' front office now, uh, relinquishing his role as NBC transitions out of being the official broadcast partner for the NHL in the United States. And in addition to that, one of... Uh, the colleagues that I have at TSN 1050 Radio, one of the best in the business, Ray Ferraro, will be moving to cover hockey in the States. So congratulations to Ray. It's a huge career move for him. And we'll be disappointed to be missing out his daily spot, missing out on his daily spot, I should say, on Overdrive on TSN 1050, some of the best hockey content of it out there. Like I call it the hockey gospel. Every day I tune in for that. So disappointing but exciting for Ray to be on to the next step in his career but having said all that this is a Toronto-based podcast so let's get to the Leafs Uh, since we last chatted Travis Dermott signing a contract extension with the Leafs uh, AAV of 1.5 million I believe two years on that deal not really a surprise that this contract was signed for the Leafs I think this is basically trade bait given the fact that the expansion draft is right on our doorstep the entire league and is in a freeze right now and nobody can make any roster moves, no trades. The only team that could be active are the Seattle Kraken. The Kraken have effectively shut down the league. So with this draft coming up on Wednesday, obviously, you know, teams have submitted their protection lists and we'll get more into details about what this means for the rest of the league and who's protected, who's not protected in a little bit here, but we'll just focus on the Toronto aspect right out of the gates. Basically, Dermot, I think, was signed to this extension under the pretense that he could be a player that's selected. And if you're the Leafs, you're probably okay with that. He's been a serviceable serviceable defenseman. He fits in on that third pairing. Uh, he's shown some upside, but really hasn't been able to iron out a consistent role through his first 200 games of his career playing in Toronto. He's been effective at times, and he's been ineffective at times. For whatever reason, he hasn't been able to take that next step in his game. Uh, The protected list, I should mention, for Toronto includes the following, and this is basically what we thought was going to happen the last time we chatted. They end up going with the protect eight skaters. So for the forwards, no surprises who they protect. They protect Matthews, they protect Tavares, they protect Nylander, and they protect Mitch Marner. The rest of them are exposed. On the defense, they protect Riley, Brody, Muzzin, and this was the one that was up for debate. Justin Hall ends up getting the nod over Dermott, um, they obviously go with the eight skater format so that they could protect Hall over and leaving some forwards exposed, including, but not limited to the newly acquired Jared McCann, um, Alex Kerfoot, and then likely the third player that would be selected would be Dermot. Uh, when I look at this, I'm not surprised that the Leafs decided to protect Hall. I think that he's proven to be a serviceable top four defenseman. Um, the all-important right shot, right shooting defenseman that Toronto really hasn't had in recent memory. And he's been serviceable on that second pairing with Jake Muzzin. Uh, I understand the criticism in a sense that he hasn't looked great when he hasn't been with Muzzin. You know, when Muzzin went down in the Columbus series, the decor imploded on itself and wasn't able to stop a nosebleed. Perhaps that's why front office for the Leafs is catching so much flack for, you know, signing Dermot, exposing Dermot, and deciding to protect Hall. But I think that there's a lot of layers here, including but not limited to the salary. Justin Hall is making two million bucks for the next two seasons. Where are you going to find a top four defenseman that's making two million bucks? He's proven to be able to do his job in the defensive zone. He's not going to be... Uh, knocking your socks off of the zone entries, but he can make the smart plays. He can help the team break out of the zone, and he can take those all-important defensive zone draws alongside his partner, and you can feel pretty comfortable that the team's going to be in good shape in a defensive aspect. So not surprised at all to see Hall get protected. The preponderous reason is ultimately the cap. 
Toronto is a team that's up against the cap. They have to find cheap, effective talents to plug the holes in their lineup. Hall is one of those players that is cheap. You know what you're getting out of him. No surprises for me that they decide to protect Hall. On the flip side, the Canadiens really shaking the hockey world by leaving their goaltender, Carey Price, exposed. A lot of thoughts on this. And it's my method of thinking has kind of shifted. Initially, I think I had the shock factor alongside everybody else. A, that Bergevin would put himself potentially or make himself susceptible to the sort of criticism that would come if Price left right after they made the cup final basically on his back. But the fact that they had Carey waive his no movement clause. Like, Carey Price had to agree that he was all right with the fact that he might get picked up by Seattle. And I know that Price has family. You know, he grew up in Washington State. There's a lot of ties there. Um, Close ties to, you know, Vancouver. It all makes, that makes sense to me. I understand that. So, and just to be clear as well, Carey Price moves his no movement clause, but it's only for the expansion draft. It's not as if Bergevin could say, turn around after that and flip him to Arizona or something and say, see you later, Carey. And the more I think about it, the more I think that this is a shrewd move by Canadiens general manager, Mark Bergevin. I mean, look at the cap hit of this guy. Ten and a half million, five more years left. And he's not getting any younger. How old old's Carey Price now? 32, 33? Generally, this is when we start to see the steep decline out of the goaltending position. Is once they start getting into their mid to late 30s, they can really, things can go off the cliff pretty quick here. So you look at the contract, you look at the years left on the contract in addition to just the AAV of the deal, and then the reports start coming out that he's going to be having MRIs on his knee and on his hip and that there's potentially injury problems. <laughs> you want to talk about shrewd press release timing. This is also a masterclass by the Canadiens organization to be releasing that there's all these injury problems that he's dealing with now on the eve of the expansion draft just to murky the make the waters more murky for Ron Francis is trying to decide whether or not he should try to pull the whole Marc-Andre Fleury thing and take a solidified goaltender to be the backbone of your team. But the more I've thought about it, the more I just think that this was a shrewd move by Bergevin because Jake Allen almost certainly would have been taken by Ron Francis and the Kraken. And with Price exposed and all the stuff that we've talked about before and you hear Ron Francis coming out and talking about how you know the cap space is going to be his biggest asset and that they have to utilize that and use it to build their team over the next several years. They're signing a 33 your old goaltender to a ten and a half mil- with a ten and a half million dollar contract over the next five years is not smart asset management if your primary asset is cap space. It's just not. Kudos to Bergevin for playing chicken. And obviously we won't know how this plays out because we could just be overthinking this. Maybe it's if a player of Price's ilk who has perf- been able to perform in big games gets exposed. Maybe you can't just let him sit there. Maybe you have to take him. And then you worry about the last three years of the deal when he's underperforming or whatever it is. Then. It'll be interesting to see if Ron Francis and the management group over there feels any pressure based off the fact that George McPhee and Culling McCrimmon were able to have almost immediate success when they fired up their team in Vegas. I mean, a cup final their first year, and then what What have they had since then? Two Western Conference Finals appearances, and they had that one weird year where they kind of lost in the first round to San Jose because of all the, the BS penalty late in the third period of Game 7. Like, this has been a team that's superseded expectations, and I'm not suggesting that Seattle should be trying to mimic that, but certainly when you look at the rest of that division, I don't think it's far-fetched to assume that this team could be competing for a playoff spot next year. Wild to think about. Wild to think about. 
And we should also mention that since uh, we last talked, since it's been a while, that former Maple Leafs defensive coach Dave Haxtall was named the head coach of the Kraken. So congratulations to Dave. Um, was a little surprised to see that signing. He wasn't really on anybody's radar as being one of the primary options for the Kraken. And obviously things didn't end so well for him in Philadelphia during his last head coaching job. But obviously the Kraken have faith in Dave to be the guy that's going to take them to the promised land. So all the best to Dave in his new role in Seattle. Hope that he can exceed the expectations of the Kraken management. And you also wonder, he was pretty engaged with this decor and while he was in Toronto. I wonder if he'll have anything to say about whether or not the Kraken should be trying to take Travis Dermott or whether they should take one of the forwards exposed, Alex Kerfa or Jared McCann. Let's go to the interview with State of Hoppy. <laughs> My next guest, well-renowned member of the Hockey Podcast Network, the State of Hoppy assistance to the regional host on the Soda Pod, and my good friend, win or lose, we booze, his motto, State of Hoppy. Thank you for joining us uh, on the pod today. Man, I think that's the first time anyone's ever said I was well-renowned for anything, so thank you. <laughs> well, I actually uh, brought a cold one myself in uh, honor of you visiting, and it is the evening. Usually we record in the morning, so I can't really crack a cold one. So uh, in honor of, on your pod, you guys do the hoppy hour to open it up. So what are you sipping on this, this evening here? Yeah, so I am repping from the vastly underrated region of minnesota as far as beer is concerned we have bent paddle out of duluth minnesota um but duluth as a whole until maybe like five ten years ago i think they were like in the top five of like most breweries per capita in the country just because of size of duluth and i think they've got like a dozen breweries (laughs) nice Um, and they have an okay college hockey program most breweries per capita is not, it's not a statistic that you really follow too often. Uh, I've got the silver bullet here, so I'll tell you what I'm drinking in just a second. This is one of the benefits when you work at a brewery is when things don't get labeled, they just send them home with you. But then it's always a fun adventure when you get to try it. Okay, so that is the um, that is the Big Mash Hellas Lager. 5% has a, a slight bit of malt to it, a little bit of breadiness, very easy drinking, perfect summer beer. Uh, was made at Radical Road Brewery. This was actually pretty cool um, because a dollar from each proceed from each canceled was going towards musicians who were out of work during the pandemic. So for a good cause as well. And we always like to attribute drinking with good causes when, <laughs> when that's available to us. Yeah, but I, it, so that's interesting because it's a really cool thing that you have that for a cause. It sounds like you didn't contribute to that cause because you just took it home unlabeled. Oh, yeah, that's true. But uh, I did buy my fair share. <laughs> so it's a okay. fair point. All right, fair. All right. Hard, hard, hard-hitting journalism out of the gate here, as always. Uh, <laughs> let's start off with this. This is a debate that we were having on Twitter a while back, and I want to bring it back to life. Is playing as odd job cheating in GoldenEye 64? Yes or no? If someone else gets him, yes, it's cheating. <laughs> if I if get, get him, him it's though? absolutely legal. Yeah. That's uh, that seems to be the consensus. I was uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he was like, "Yeah, it was, it was always his brother who would always get him first because he'd get the first controller and would always be the first one in." And that was always his argument was like, "No, it's like as long as you can grab him, you're good to go." And then you end up having to pick up some weird character like Jaws, but that actually compounded the problem because you couldn't even see him. <laughs> What a disaster. Man, I was literally going to say, I was going to say Jaws, but then the one that, that I would use if people like actually like got upset about odd job, um, I would be the uh, helicopter pilot. Just go random. The hell, like, just random like Russian guard. I would, I would just go for Boris. Boris uh, seemed to be Ooh, a pretty okay. useful, use, useless character in that game and in that movie, but always like picking the obscure guys. All right. So a lot is going on in the NHL right now. We're on the eve of the second expansion draft in the last couple of years here and a lot of players have surprisingly been exposed 
to Seattle that I don't think anybody really foresaw. Uh, the big co- topic of conversation up here is obviously involving Montreal Canadiens goaltender Carey Price. Uh, I've heard a lot of, I guess, uh, opinions on both sides of the fence on this one. Where do you stand on the Canadiens exposing Price? And if you were Ron Francis, would you be looking to pick him up despite his uh, $10.5 million owed to him over the next five years against the salary cap for average annual value? That's the kicker, right? Because you'd think that a team coming in, you know, the goal, unless you're the Vegas Golden Knights, isn't to win the Stanley Cup the first year. Um, And while Price is obviously like a crazy option to have available, that's a big cap for a lot of time for a guy that's not getting any younger. And you almost feel like there's no way Montreal was going to expose him if they thought there was a real possibility of them getting him. I know news is cycling and maybe they're just trying to get a last minute panic and see if Bergevin will be like, no, 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 I'll give you something. Just please don't take him. But I just, I'm out on it from both sides. I don't think that Montreal's worried about losing him. And I don't think that Seattle is going to take him. It just seems very prohibitive with the money. And I think what you said is important because hearing Ron Francis talk over the last couple of days, he's been alluding to the fact that the biggest assets that his franchise has right now is the cap space. And if he's going to move forward with that being his perspective, it doesn't seem that it would be a prudent decision at this point in time to be bringing on these massive contracts. And ultimately in some situations, I think if you were to take on price, obviously the fans would be upset, but ten and a half million dollars is a lot of money. So either way, it would kind of help the franchise out. It just seems like it would be more prohibitive, especially in the tail end of that deal, than it would be worthwhile in the short term to pick him up. Yeah, and you know we're having a different conversation if it's a two-year term left, right? Yeah. Because then, hey, guess what? Two years getting carry price, you get the attention. Maybe you make a quick push here in the playoffs your first year, and then you can wash your hands of it. But five years is a lot. (laughs) It is a long time, and he's what thirty-three years old. So this is when we start to see goaltenders generally start to hit the decline. His regular season numbers already have been sort of dwindling over the past several seasons. Now, that doesn't necessarily matter if you can fire it up as soon as the postseason comes around and go on a run like they were able to this year. I still anticipate that he will likely be the goaltender for Team Canada the next time around, unless there's some sort of consequential change from between here and then. I think that he's proven they can do it on the big stages and under the most pressure. So it'll be interesting to watch, but I'm with you. I think that Francis would be wise to shy away from this one. Of the other players that ended up being exposed, who is most surprising to you from just like a general league perspective? Because there was uh, some pretty surprising ones looking down the list, including but not limited to uh, Gabriel Landeskog, uh, Tarasenko, uh, you know, Max Domi, another one, Mark Giordano, the Flames defenseman. Who is most surprising to you to see on that list? Yeah, so me and Isha did an extra recording last night. So I guess I'm talking to you on Monday. So Sunday night. Um, that we're going to drop on Tuesday that we literally just did rapid fire on every team. And when we, when he said we were going to talk about the St. Louis blues, I just burst out laughing. Like that's just the biggest joke I've ever heard. Um, I don't know. It makes zero sense to me that they would expose a piece like that. I, I know they're looking for cap space, I guess, but that's a player you should have gotten at least something for something. If you're going to do that. Um, my other guy, and it's less about him being exposed. It's still kind of about him being exposed, man. Jared McCann, just such a disrespected human. <laughs> Your boy. Yeah, just getting uh, just getting shipped out to Toronto. And then basically it's uh, just a buffer zone. Now, I suspect that from Toronto's perspective that Dermot will likely, it will either be uh, Travis Dermot or it'll be Alexander Kerfoot that will get selected. So I feel like bringing in McCann, I was a little surprised that they would trade for him and then, not maybe just expose one of the two defensemen and say either take Hall or Dermott and then we'll just go deal with it and take try to move forward with the other one and you protect a little bit more of your forward grouping but it seems like Kerfa is probably going to be the guy that if I was Ron Francis I'd be looking at three and a half million dollar cap it for the next two seasons can be a serviceable third line center can play up and down your lineup on the wing I think he could be a top six winger I would suspect that that would be the guy but oh man from my perspective, McCann is the no-brainer pick here with all of the upside and talent that he offers. And you mentioned like exposing Hall, which is what I would have done. 
from what I hear, and you're obviously way more plugged in than I am with the Leafs, apparently, like, there's just some unexplainable chub that your boy Kyle Dubas up there has for Mr. Hall. So that was just not going to be an option. Um, but I, I understand the move. Like, basically, the way they're seeing it is, oh, we just gave up, you know, Hallander and uh, a seventh, seventh yeah. to Seattle is the way they're, like, processing it in their mind. Pittsburgh got something, but man, Jared McCann is just, ah, there's so much there and he just needs to be put in the right spot. That That's just my opinion. I think when you look at the Justin Hall situation, the most important part about it is that is his AAV. And he's basically signed for 2 million bucks for the next two seasons. He's a right shot defenseman that's been able to be serviceable in the top four of that lineup, at least when he's playing alongside Jake Muzzin. When he's not alongside Muzzin, he can be a little bit of a liability. And that's something to be worried about. We saw what happened in the Columbus series when Jake Muzzin went down. The defense imploded on itself because there's no strong two-way defenders on that team really outside of that that player. Maybe TJ Brody was more effective this year. Uh, Not necessarily a two-way guy, but more of a shutdown guy playing with Morgan Riley. But I think the $2 million cap hit, when you look at the situation that Toronto finds itself in, is something that the team wasn't able to walk away from. And although Travis Dermott may have more upside, and although, like you said, with McCann and Kerfoot, you have to leave them exposed, ultimately solidifying the top four with that right shot guy at that price point was something that Toronto wasn't able to walk away from at this point in time. Yeah, and I I get that perspective. And it's crazy to me because, you know, Justin Hall, he's a gopher. He played in Minnesota and – I thought he was a solid guy in college. I never thought that he'd be in the top four of any NHL team's decor. And uh, I mean, good for him because he is playing very well, but I, I just never thought he had this in him. No, he certainly exceeded expectations. I believe he was drafted by the Blackhawks and basically played that out, ended up in the ECHL before getting picked up by Toronto and then basically just shuffled into the Marlies and, He's really made a solid defenseman out of himself. So he's one of the analytics pieces that's really turned out well from like Toronto's program. They're obviously one of the teams that's super engaged into that sort of appraisal of a player's value. And he's one of the cornerstones that it really can work in the right situation. If you have the right coaching and you give the players the right opportunity that they can blossom and turn into a diamond in the rough, right? If you can take a diamond in the rough and turn them into a serviceable NHL player, and they've done really good a good job of that. Uh, the Minnesota Wild had to expose one of their young goaltenders in Kakanen. What do you make of the, that exposure? Because it certainly seems like that's an obvious choice for Francis and, and the Kraken. It's going to be a weird draft because you look and, like, there's a lot of options at goaltender. There's a lot of options at defense. And, I mean, Let's be real. There's a lot of options everywhere, but I just see there being like a lot of real options at both positions. And those are the yeah. two guys that they're going to be looking at, right? It's either Kakanen or Susie. Um, there was definitely some dissension amongst the ranks here with just Minnesota fans on, do you expose Kakanen or Talbot? Like it's a pretty even split and I get both sides. It's just too bad because they're just such a perfect balanced cohesive unit the two of them it makes a ton of sense the way that that was going to roll out sucks that you're going to lose him but i don't know at the end of the day i don't think minnesota fans regardless of what the trade might be they've all got the fomo the ptsd with uh mr tuck out in vegas so they don't even want to touch that yeah just uh just let one go and that'll be the end of that speaking of dissension in the minnesota ranks i gotta get you to take the take the temperature for you of some of the moves that your boy Billy G has made over the past uh, couple of weeks here. And this is massive news, buying out the contracts of both Ryan Suter and Zach Parise. These were two guys who were brought in and supposed to be saviors of the franchise, uh, the cornerstones that were supposed to take you through to make continuous cup runs. And it just never really worked out. They were serviceable NHL players and good players for the franchise but they weren't ever able to get this franchise over the top. And ultimately Billy G makes the decision to buy them out. Uh, First off, what was the consensus from the fan base? And what's the temperature in Minnesota upon that news? And second, I would like to get uh, some clarity on what this means for the organization, especially from a cap perspective, 
moving forward? Because I've heard some mixed reports and it seems like the financial penalties down the road could be fairly severe depending on um, how this plays out. Yeah. So let's tackle that in waves here. Um, Initial reaction when the news came out was absolute shock from everyone. Zach Parisi, everyone knew was a possibility, right? Especially after a couple attempts to trade him out, he was clearly unhappy with how things played out this year. It just made sense to part ways and, you know, let him leave. Ryan Suter is still a top four defenseman on any hockey team. Um, he was absolutely shocked, did not think that this was at all an option. And I- I'm not sure if you've heard the story, but Russo basically broke it down and said, like, he went back and forth trying to get a hold of Suter and Parisi when he found out. And like, he had a really good conversation with Parisi. He was happy, excited, like, clean break, try and go out and, you know, reestablish himself as a player. And then Parisi's on the phone with Suter talking about it like yeah man i got bought out whatever and suitor's like man i just got another missed call from bill garen like clicks over calls garen back finds out that he's been bought out and just hangs up on him oh <laughs> <laughs> man it's like the phone call for that sort of stuff is just so difficult and like it's it's obviously like for the players like i understand like because Garen probably likely could have like moved these contracts, probably could have tried to make a trade or whatever. Uh, part of the reason that he had to do this was because he would have had to likely protect these two guys. And so it gives him more flexibility on like who he was able to protect on his roster by freeing up those two spots. Additionally, it gives the players more control now to try to choose where they want to go. Because they can essentially go out and sign with any team now. They can pick a contender, they can pick a city, they can go where they want whereas it's not going to be dictated by the front office. So it's kind of a novel way to see your way out of an organization, while at the same time, a pretty big F you from the organization saying that we don't think that you can contribute to our team anymore at that salary level that you're getting paid. Yeah, and it's tough, too, with a suitor. Because, again, I, I said it, like, he can absolutely still play, and that's why I was surprised. There's some layers to it, though. So first, you already hit on the big one, right? Buying both of them out means two more players you can protect. And based on how the trade talks were going with Matt Dumba, that just wasn't going to be a realistic option prior to the roster freeze. Um, But then you've got the aspect of you saw what happened with Zach Parisi in the playoffs this year. And at the end of the season, like clearly upset that he's sitting up in the press box, got a little vocal about it. And I don't blame him, but he's looking at it and saying, well, Ryan Suter thinks he's a 25 minute player. He's probably looking at 17, 18 minutes next year, and it's going to keep on devolving from there as he gets older. How do you think that player is going to deal with it? Only guy left from that regime, really, that older crew of guys. It just sounds like Garen wasn't a fan of how they were in the locker room. So it's more just a clean break, get those guys out, move forward with the new youth movement. Um, But it's just tough. Like you said, years two through four, it's going to be a bit of a cap crunch, but you're at least saving a little bit of money. And he thinks this is, you know, an addition by subtraction type of thing with just getting some negative voices out of the room. I want to touch on the youth movement in just a minute here. Cause your boy Kaprizov is uh, giving some, <laughs> giving some headaches to the front office as well. But like, I do want some clarity because like, I'm sure that you, you're obviously like locked in and dialed in on that market. I was listening to hockey central and they were talking about, you know, the contract situation and getting rid of Suter and Parise and what that could mean from a cap application. And we're, in, we're basically insinuating that there could be some severe penalties as in large amounts of the cap. They're going to be blocked off over the next couple seasons, not necessarily this season or the following, but a little bit down the road, that could be some pretty substantial penalties that might hinder Minnesota's ability to really ice a competitive team. Uh, can you give me some clarity as to what those actual stipulations are from what I understood, they were um, pretty, pretty severe. Well, and so the good news is uh, the last piece that I didn't even mention on why it was critical to buy them out is that there's no potential for cap recapture now, right? Oh, that's, really? That's off the table. That was if they retired before their contract was up. Their contract is dead. Now there's dead money that they're going to have from the buyout. So we're looking at give or take $12 million in dead cap space in year two of this. So not 21, 22, but 22, 23. And the two years following, it's like almost 15 million. But 
and again, that's a hindrance when you look at some of the young players that need contracts today, namely Kaprizov and Fiala. Um, I, I do think the the big benefit to what happened here, like I gave an example there with Dumba, right? You don't have time to figure out the market and get the right guy. You've got other players like Dumba who are much better than Dumba in a Seth Jones and a Dougie Hamilton that I'm not going to go out and pay Matt Dumba price for Matt Dumba if I think I've got a shot at picking up one of those guys. He's almost like that consolation prize that you got to wait things out, not have your back up against the wall with cap with uh, protection obligations. Um, that's going to help him shuffle the whole roster though, right? Garen's got now a good one or two year window to get some breathing room. You're going to have contracts like a Victor Rask come off the books. Dumba's off in two years. And if he wants to come back, he's probably going to have to do so at a discount or you trade him this year or next year and get real value back for him. Um, it's still going to be a tall order for Bill Guerin, but the big piece here, especially with bringing in a guy like Judd Brackett from Vancouver, it's all about the youth movement, man. They need the guys they're drafting to hit. They need those entry-level contracts to be impactful. You're looking at three guys this year that I don't think they're going to make an impact right away, but you get to the last third of this season, maybe, if things go right, you got Marco Rossi right here. You got a Matt Boldy. You got a Kalen Addison. And there's a lot of other guys that certainly could step up in the next couple of years. And if that happens, you're saving yourself from this cap purgatory, right? If you don't, well, you're screwed, right? There's no other way around it. <laughs> yeah. No, then we see that more and more now with the way the league has been structured. If you want to be competitive, you need to be drafting players who can be effective and contribute to your lineup in those first three years of their deal. And there's so much more pressure. And that's when you look at Toronto as being an example of that, they basically wasted the first three years when they had those players on their entry-level deals. And then you end up forking over you know, 10 million plus for three guys and all of a sudden you're in one as far as trying to fill out the rest of your roster because you need to find discount guys at the bargain bin see if you can find maybe veterans who are willing to come in at a league minimum or you find unproven talents in the khl and try to bring them over to effectively plug the holes in your lineup speaking of the khl and the youth movement that we were just talking about before what's up with your boy Kirill the thrill wins the calder at lights the league on fire this year such a fun player to watch. One of the reasons that I was tuning into Minnesota Wild games. And now it seems like he might not be coming back to this team. What's uh, what's the latest on Kaprizov Sitch? I'm not really worried about him not coming back. It's really a standstill here, man, of term, right? Like, obviously, Garen wants to lock him up for seven or eight. Kaprizov wants one or two. And, like, really, it, it probably has to end up in, like, the three or four year range, which isn't going to make anyone happy, but guess what? At this point, you got to do what you need to do to get him over. At that point, though, I'm not paying him what he wants, right? And a lot of people will say, oh, it's Kirill Kaprizov. Like, Bill Guerin can't be a hard-ass on this one. You don't want to mess everything up. Yes, you can. Bullshit. Bill Guerin can do whatever <laughs> the hell he wants. He just dropped his balls on the table, and he doesn't give a shit. If he's willing to just cut bait with Parisian suitor like that, He's made his stamp. He's going to do what he wants and what he needs to. Guess what? If Kaprizov is going to try and dick around and say, I want $10 million for three years. Okay. I guess we can trade him and get a great asset. Right. I think if you give him seven mil for three years, I think that accomplishes what both sides need. That's him coming in at a perceived discount. And again, we're talking about a guy that's played one season. Like he's incredible. Don't get me wrong, but you don't pay a guy off of one year sample size and he needs to get this contract lower for a couple reasons. First, you just saw what happened with buying out Parisian suitor. You don't know what this team's going to look like in a couple weeks, let alone in five years and you're signing in for eight years. You're stuck. You don't have a choice. So that that's, one piece but the bigger one is he needs to sign another ticket before he's 30 that's how he banks in that's how he really maximizes his value get this bridge deal sign again at 27 28 29 whatever and really get those big bucks when we have a higher cap when we have more clarity that he even wants to be here and he's proven himself a little bit more right because you know garen's sitting in that room saying what i just did where it's grill you, you played one year you looked solid he also played in the Western division. 
which was the biggest dumpster fire I've ever seen of having three teams that can play and five that just look lost. Yeah, some people would say the Canadian division with the, was the same, <laughs> the dumpster fire being top heavy and then the bottom half of it. I mean, the Canucks were had, having a terrible season. The Senators were just getting ragdolled all over the place, at least at the beginning of the year. They figure out in the second half. But I'm with you on the bridge deal being the smart move. Like it gives an opportunity for the player and for the organization to feel good about a price point. You can probably pay them a little bit under the perceived market value. So the organization feels like it's a win for the player. They get a couple more years to build on their resume, uh, get more established as being the superstar, which he seems to be on track for uh, transitioning into that fully. And everybody is happy. Like, and if Kirill then at the end of the bridge deal in like the next three or four years, if he decides that, Minnesota isn't right for him and he wants to go the Artemi Panarin route and go to a bigger market in either New York or Boston or Chicago or wherever the hell he wants to go to be in the spotlight and live in the limelight and do all that sort of stuff rather than being in St. Paul, then that's then that's fine. Like you can do that, but you don't have that option necessarily when you first come into the league. You have to play the first couple seasons with that organization or you just have to go back to the KHL. And like if he wants to do that, some players prefer that. But certainly it seems like the best the best league in the world has the more draw for him to want to stay here. And the upside, if he is able to continue this success, it'll be an unreal opportunity for him. So could be a big win for the yeah. organization and for Billy G if they can figure out a way to get a couple of years signed there. Yeah, you would hope, right? But uh, let's be completely clear, because again, we've seen Bill Guerin does not mess around let's say he signs a three-year deal, right? That's what Kirill wants. It's actually longer than what he wants, but that's the furthest that Karen's going to budge. Um, the summer after year two, he's either extending or he's being traded. Bill Guerin yeah. is not going to pull the Artemi Panarin game and say, whatever, we'll, we'll go for it this year and hope that we can convince him to say, no, no, no. You're either staying or you're not staying. <laughs> There's no middle ground. Well, the Panarin thing is like has so many layers to it as well, right? Because Chicago saw that thing coming from a mile away, right. and they're like, "We're never going to be able to pay this guy." And I, like, I feel like I was one of the sympathizers with Stan Bowman's position because everybody's like, "Well, why the hell would you trade him for Brandon Saad?" It's like, well, Saad is like he was a member of the Hawks organization. You kind of knew what you were going to get from him, like so lower locked-in price points for the player. It's like. You basically, he was just handcuffed things, seeing the contract coming down the road and knowing that they weren't going to be able to give it to him. So you ship him out. Obviously, it makes your team worse, but you get some cost certainty coming back the other way. And then Columbus, he just had Yarmo's feet to the fire. If there hasn't been a team that's had more tough luck with the free agents and the players that they bring in and are able to naturally grow as homegrown talents, like the Jackets have had the worst end of it. It seems like anytime they develop anybody, they can't wait to get the hell out of Columbus, whether it's Bobrovsky, whether it's Rick Nash, whether it's Artemi Panarin, uh, Matt Duchesne, who they traded for with uh, hopes that they would be able to re-sign him in free agency. Obviously, that went by the wayside and who also is exposed in the expansion draft. We should mention him and Ryan Johansson, mm -hmm. which would help help them a ton if for some reason they took one of those two centers because their contracts are complete disasters in Nashville. Yeah. Anyhow, not to get too far past the point, but Columbus <laughs> has really had it had it tough when it comes to that sort of free agent's uh, retention. I don't know how you fix it either because they're they're doing everything right. They're managing the program correctly. Like I don't know if it's something we're not seeing inside the organization or if it straight up is I don't want to live in Columbus. It's just I don't know how you shake it then at this point if that's just going to keep on being the cycle. Great, great state for football. <laughs> not necessarily a great state for NHL players who want to sit there and dial in. All right. Well, I'll wrap this up with the odds to win the Stanley cup this upcoming season, the Seattle Kraken currently don't have any players on their roster, but they still have a better odds to win the Stanley cup than both the Buffalo Sabres and the Detroit Red Wings. Your thoughts on the Kraken being the 30th favorites to win the Stanley cup, despite not having one player on their roster and being favored over those two storied NHL franchises. I mean, it's funny that those are the two, but to be honest, <laughs> to be honest, I think they should be ahead of more. If you look at the way this is going to shape out and the division they're going to play in, the only team they're competing with is Vegas. Like the rest of it, they could feasibly be better than the rest of the teams in the Pacific. It's weird. It's way different than Vegas, right? We, 
I look at it and I see them being probably somewhere in that like 20-ish range out of the league as it sits today. And that might change immensely in a couple of days. No, and when you look at like that division, like you said, I mean, the three California teams are in a rebuild. Vegas is competitive, but like we'll see what happens. But there's a lot of question marks like in that division. And it's not I don't think it's not entirely like necessarily probable or impossible that this team could dial it in and make be a playoff team this year, especially if they decide to go the route of picking some of these players that are available like to try to compete in the short term, which basically this is going to be come down to what Ronnie Francis wants to do. If he's going to be able to lock it in and like build for the future and pick some young players who are going to be cornerstones moving ahead, or if he's going to try to compete right now and get, bring in some veteran players who have been exposed your Tarasenko's, if they can maybe work out a deal to sign Landis cog long-term, if they through the negotiation period with him, uh, it remains to be seen, but there's some good players on the board and they could be extremely competitive right out of the game. And for me, man, you look at a lot of the ones that you'd maybe think they'd target. It makes sense, even though it maybe kind of helps the team. I don't think Seattle cares who they're helping. You look at it and you see that they're like a lot of two years left on their deal type things, right? So who cares if it's a seven or $8 million contract, because that's going to be off the books here pretty quick. And if it helps you be impactful, come in, build that culture early. Like you talk about a Giordano already. I think he's a lock to be taken from Calgary because he's got what one year left on that deal comes in and then maybe they get him to stay on the cheap and he's their leader. He's a captain and he obviously can play middle pairing for that Seattle team. That's just one example. If you have a cap flexibility, that's all they care about. So that doesn't mean you have to come in at the cap floor. It just means that you can't be locked into long-term hemorrhaging deals a la Carey Price. I think the term is the most important parts when you look at it. Because like you said, the cap inherently isn't bad. Like you can bring Giordano in and basically like he's a lock to get selected. I think he can play on your top pairing uh, just one year left on the deal. He'll bring stability and leadership to your room. Um, I think that for his time in Calgary, he's accomplished a lot. Um, They'll still love him there, even if he moves on. But it's probably, you know, you see this from players as they move into the limelight of their careers all the time. It's they end up switching franchises. I think this is a slam dunk for Ron Francis to select this guy um, and bring him in just to give some stability on that back end. Can I just say how absolute trash it is that the league steps in and says (laughs) that Montreal can't have Carey Price be selected and then Seattle retains salary and trades him back for assets like why the hell not? Why Why could they do it with every other team if they wanted to? They could get price and they could trade him out and retain cap. But no, not to Montreal. When you're allowing ridiculous things like, again, this isn't a shot at Tampa because they followed the rules, but why can you go into the playoffs and have money over cap, right? Like it, the spots they pick to play defense and make sure that people aren't circumventing the cap, like you're idiots. The cap circumvention thing, like, and this is a topic for another day because we could go for probably an hour just based off that topic alone. I find the whole thing kind of hilarious, mainly because after the Blackhawks kind of did their thing, and I don't even remember what year it was. Was it 2013? 15, 15. Or 2015 when uh, Patty Kane got injured. Like, then they added, you know, a bunch of players, ran the trade deadline, Kane comes back for the playoffs, ultimately ends up winning the con Smythe. They win the cup. Uh, they beat the Lightning in that final, and at, they beat the St. Louis Blues earlier in that cap run. At the end of that season, the Board of Governors had a vote to see whether or not they should continue with the current cap structure or whether or not they should close that loophole. And the only two teams that voted against it were St. Louis and Tampa Bay. Everybody else in the league was like, no, we'll just leave it the way it is because you never know if you're if it's your guy, then you're going to be upset, right? Well. <laughs> the whole league can stroke one now because Tampa Bay was the only team that was like, we're going to shut it down. And then basically everybody didn't want to do it. And now they did it to the, to the 10th degree. So all the applause to Julian Breesbaugh and whoever the hell was managing that cap down there. Cause this was a masterclass of assembling a team that was, you know, whatever it was 15 million, 10 million over the cap. I'm not counting Gabrick and whoever the hell else is like on those books that everybody else was considering because they weren't actually playing. But you basically like added, you know, the 10 million bucks that Kucherov had for free. 
Well, right. And I know that they won't do it because it's controversial. And, oh, it's the NHL. We're so clean and classy. How is Breezeball not the GM of the year when he pulls that off? <laughs> we had a, we had Dave Anderchuk on our station on TSN 1050 uh, the day after they won the cup. And he was pretty candid on air. And it was Gordon Miller hosting. I was working the board in the studio. And he asked him a question about Kucherov. And basically, like, his answer was like, oh, yeah, he's like he was skating for with the team for like a couple weeks, like like uh, taking full practice, full gear, like contact. Like he was feeling good. So like we were feeling good, like heading into the playoffs that he was ready to go. And, like me and Gord just kind of looked at each other. And we're like, did Dave Anderchuk just admit to Capser Convention on our radio station right now on live air? <laughs> it was so oh, funny. Man, that's great. Oh, it's too funny, man. And then even after like we finished up the show or whatever, and then we were transitioning through we were in the commercials for the next show, and Gord Miller just came and popped his head into the studio and went, just so we're clear, Dave Anderchuk just admitted to Capsar Convention on here, right? And I was like, Yeah, I think he did. And he was like, Yeah, that's what I thought. He was like, All right, have a good day, and just <laughs> just left the studio. <laughs> oh, it's too funny. Ooh. Hey, yeah, it was a masterclass. Yeah, state of hoppy. Appreciate you taking the time for me today. Uh, what are you up to in the future? Tell the listeners where they can find you, uh, what content you got on the horizon, and uh, the floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, everybody, uh, you if you want good beer opinions and average hockey opinions, you can find me at State of Hoppy on most platforms. Um, our podcast within the Hockey Podcast Network here, along with the great Kenny Rogers, is The Soda Pod. And uh, coming up here, we're doing a couple live streams for both the expansion draft and the NHL entry draft. Uh, otherwise, we just talk a lot about Minnesota hockey, Minnesota beer. We do talk about the league as a whole, but uh, it really just a lot of nonsense. Me arguing with some, uh, I, I can make fun of him and call him a Canuck on here since, you know, Toronto, Vancouver, they don't get along with each other. My co-host, <laughs> he, he's a lot to handle. So if you want to listen in and pile on him with me, by all means, I'd love it. Yeah, certainly Isha can be a lot to hand, handle, and I know that he isn't. He's not listening right now, so we could be as hard as hard on him as he wants. I would do it either way. So yeah, we, we we could call him we could call him a Canuck either way. Like I, I feel like that's a that's an endearing name for Canadians. I feel like once you start getting into like the calling us hosers, that's when it gets a little bit more <laughs> dicey. <laughs> Anyways, stay up, Hoppy. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Appreciate your time as always, and uh, we'll chat soon. All right. Oh, appreciate it, buddy. It's been fun. Thanks again to the State of Hoppy for joining us on this episode of Not Another Release Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. And that's all we have for you for today. Thanks for listening. Toss us a follow on Twitter at Ken Stapon, at State of Hoppy, at Leafs Pod, at Hockey Pod Nets. Enjoy the expansion draft, and we'll chat next time. <laughs>